The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning again. Uh, my name's Cody Peterson. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here at Westway. And um, as John said, I just want to echo a few things right off the bat. Uh, we are winding down our summer series that we've been calling The Songs We Sing. And uh, we have this Sunday and then next Sunday, and that's it. Um, so I know, um, like, I've gotten a lot out of this series. Um, I don't get the opportunity to preach a lot, but I've had the opportunity a few more times as we've gone through this series. And I know my personal preparation time, like, I've been able to, to dig a little bit deeper into some of the topics that we're talking about. And I know I personally have gotten a ton out of the content that we've been going through. And my hope is that it's not just me and that you all have gotten something out of it too. Maybe learned a little more about what worship is and what worship is not. Um, and if you haven't been able to keep up with every single Sunday here, um, I missed last Sunday because I was gone traveling down to Colorado to perform a wedding, and we were driving back up on Sunday, and we were in the middle of, if you've ever driven from southeast Colorado up to Nebraska, there's a whole lot of nothing in between, but we had just enough service that my family was able to pull up YouTube in the car and listen through the speakers. And so I want to encourage you, if you've missed a Sunday and uh, haven't had the opportunity to catch up yet, all of our complete services from the 1015 are on YouTube. So if you search Westway Christian Church on YouTube, you can find this entire series in a playlist and you can catch up on any of the weeks that you missed. So um, feel free to, to do that and utilize that. Every series that we go through here at Westway is done the same way. So as we get ready to start Romans in a couple weeks, um, you'll have the ability to do that same thing. And I know um, this last week, John sent out an email on Romans. Um, if you're a part of the, the email list here at Westway, you should have gotten that just kind of outlined a lot of resources that we've been putting together um, so you can start to prepare already. And I want to encourage you, um, go ahead and start reading through Romans now. Spend some time just reading the entire book so that you're ready um, as we kind of break it down. We're going to kind of take a pace that um, is pretty quick <laughs> through all of the content that in Romans, and um, we're going to take it about a chapter a week. And there's so much good stuff within there that we're probably not going to be able to hit deeply on every single thing. So I want to encourage you to, to pull out your Bibles and start reading through Romans starting now. And next week, we'll have some Romans resource guides that we've been putting together um, that you guys can grab um, here at the 1015 starting next week. So if you have your Bibles with, uh, with you today, I want to encourage you, um, there's three scriptures that we're going to be looking at today. And I cheated a little bit and I put some little tabs so I can flip quickly, but I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to, to join us and read through in your Bibles if you want. Otherwise, if you have your smartphones, you can pull up the YouVersion um, event that we have here at Westway and all of the scriptures will be lined out in order for you there. So we're going to be looking at Acts 2, <coughs> Hebrews 10, and Ephesians 4 in that order. So Acts 2, Hebrews 10, and Ephesians 4. And those scriptures may sound familiar to you. And if you were here with us last week, all three of those scriptures are scriptures that John talked about last week. And I promise this isn't just Cody getting up and being lazy and just preaching the exact same sermon as John. But um, our, our hope for these last three weeks of this series was very intentional in the way we did this. Um, last week, John took a view of these three scriptures and a topic and gave us kind of a 10,000-foot view, overview of what we're going to be talking about. And today, my hope is that I can take that 10,000-foot view and narrow it down to about 5,000 feet. 
And then next week, as I was talking with John, um, he said, next week, we're going to really narrow it down and get to about the 10-foot view. So a lot of this, scripture-wise, is going to sound familiar, and that's intentional. So uh, bear with me. One of the things, I've been um, in ministry full-time for just over 10 years now, and as I was thinking back to my college years, one of the things that I heard and I've seen all the way in those last 10 years is um, this idea that we don't really need the church. And I think back to when I was in college, like we spent all day in class studying scripture. We were serving a lot of us in local churches, spending like way more time in the scripture And I know that there were a couple people, one of my roommates included, that when it came to the weekend, he said, I don't need the church because I've already, I'm basically doing everything. And so I want to kind of just debunk that myth a little bit this morning. And uh, this concept of we don't really need the church, like, I don't think that's true at all. But when you really think about it, some of the excuses that I heard from my friend were, well, what are the things that we're called to do? We're called to... um, draw closer to God by, by reading the scriptures and getting in the scripture. And I can do that alone. We're called to pray. I can do that in my room. We're called to um, do all sorts of things like that. Sing. I could sing on my own. Our relationship with God is personal. I can serve outside of this building I can see someone on the street that has a need and I can go out and meet that need in the name of Jesus. I can do all these things without stepping foot through the doors of Westway Christian Church. So then the question is, why? Why do I need the church? And I think that the most simple answer to that question is that God has wired each and every one of us for relationship. He's wired us for relationship with him. So God desires to have a personal relationship with me, and he desires to have a personal relationship with you in this room. And if you look throughout scripture, you can see the evidence of God's desire for relationship. Look back to Adam and Eve in the garden. God created this everything out of nothing. He created the sky, the light, the land, the trees, all the animals, and then God created man. And God created man to have dominion over the animals, but he also created man to have a relationship with him, a personal relationship. You look at the the Old Testament. God had a plan in place to give his people access to him. There were specific examples in the Old Testament of, of men like Abraham who had the, the blessing to be able to converse with God one-on-one like a friend. And then as we look forward, forward a few um, years into the Old Testament, God established something called the tabernacle after the Israelites were taken out of Egypt. And that tabernacle was designed to give God a place to dwell within his people to give his people access to him. And we see that in the temple as we move forward. God had a plan to give his people access to that relationship with him. So he established the tabernacle 
and later the temple. And ultimately, if you fast forward into the New Testament, God gives all believers access to that same relationship through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And then the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, sending the Holy Spirit to dwell within our hearts. So we don't have to physically travel to the tabernacle to have access to God. Instead, God dwells within us through the Holy Spirit. So every individual in this room, God has placed a need for relationship with him. And not only has he placed a need for relationship with him, but he's also placed within us a need for relationship with others. So I want to rewind a little bit. Think back to the Garden of Eden. After God created everything and he created Adam, he looked on Adam and said these words, or close to him, I'm going to paraphrase it. It's not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve. And I just did a wedding last weekend, and this is one of the verses that they wanted me to talk about, was how God intended for man to have relationship, and he chose Eve to be that relationship. But I think not only is that good for like a husband-wife point of view, but it's much deeper with, than that. I believe it's deeper than that. Adam had a need for relationship with God, but he also had a need for relationship with others, with people. And God chose to fulfill that need through creating Eve. But I also recognize that there are people here today that may be single. And so I just wanted to pause right now and say that marriage is not the only way for you to find true community. The church is a great place for you to get plugged in with no strings attached and give you access to relationship with people that God ingrained within us a need for. You fast forward a little bit and look at the the tabernacle and the temple like we talked about. This wasn't just a singular experience for for me with God, but it was a corporate experience. And we're going to dive into the exact specifics of that in just a little bit. But it was a corporate experience of sacrifice and praise towards God. And then fast forward further to the New Testament. Jesus lived out the human need for relationship with his disciples. And when you look at the early church in the New Testament, it's clear that they placed a very high priority on gathering together corporately. The Christian walk was not meant to be lived out in isolation. It was meant to be lived out in community. And there are things that we receive through the community, through the church, through fellowshipping with other believers that we miss out on if we're trying to walk through life and our Christian life alone. The church is our primary means of relationship and fellowship with other believers. So now that I answered the question of why the church is important, the next logical question, at least in my mind, Megan and I fight all the time on what actual logic is because her logic and my logic don't always line up. But my next question is, why, why do we gather together then? Like, I, we know the church is important, but why is it specifically that we gather together? What should we do when we gather together? And today I want to look at, at two different, I'm going to call them models. Um, John and I kind of discussed whether model was the best word or not, but I'm going to use it anyways. Um, there are two general models when it comes to God's people gathering together. In the Old Testament, the main model that we see is through the tabernacle and the temple. And then the New Testament, the main model that we see is through the early church. 
Um, during Holy Week this last year, um, we did something that, that we hadn't done here at Westway before, and we called it the Tabernacle Experience. And I was able uh, to kind of be involved in the setup, and so if you were able to go through that experience here, um, we took this room and um, used a lot of the different elements of the tabernacle and had stations set up so that we, you would walk through with small groups of people and experience um, similar things to what the Israelites would have experienced in the tabernacle. And it was fun for me to, to be able to set all that up and just kind of take a step back and watch people interact with each station and just see the lights come on of the meaning that there was behind every single element that we see throughout the tabernacle. People could experience um, the tabernacle through sight, sound, smell, and touch. And I know just through hearing uh, people as we had a debrief time afterwards and just hearing some of the things that clicked within people's mind, like it was really cool to see that the people that went through this experience were able to see the great detail that God placed into every single element of the tabernacle from its construction to how he wanted the people to interact with each element in a very specific way. As John and I were talking, he used two words to describe these two models. For the Old Testament tabernacle, he used the word pres the prescriptive model, where God lined out exactly how he wanted things to look, and he was very specific in who was allowed to interact with different elements in the tabernacle and how those people were to interact with each element. So I have a, an image that they're going to throw up on the screen that's kind of a, a layout of the tabernacle. And what I want to do over the next couple minutes is just walk through the meaning and the layout of the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was meant to be the special place where God chose to meet his people and where the people came together to worship and to offer sacrifices. There was a courtyard that surrounded the temple with one 30-foot wide gate as the only entrance. As people entered the courtyard, the altar was the first thing they would see. The sacrifices made on this altar reminded the people of the Passover lambs that were sacrificed in order to save their firstborns from the last plague God sent on Egypt. Then there was a bronze water basin in the courtyard that stood as a reminder for the people that they needed to be clean before they approached God. The priests who had the special job of bringing people's offerings to God were to use this basin to thoroughly wash their hands and their feet before entering into the tabernacle itself. And then, so once you pass through the gate and the courtyard area, you would enter into the tabernacle itself, which was divided into two rooms. The large outer room was called the holy place. In this room was a lampstand that held seven oil lamps that were to be, to be kept burning continuously. This was the only source of light in the holy place and reminded the Israelites that they were to be a light to those around them. Also in the holy place was a table that held 12 loaves of bread. And those loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. This bread was considered sacred and only the priests could eat it. It was a reminder that God provided for the Israelites in the wilderness when he provided manna for them and also that he would continue to provide everything they need. In front of the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place was the altar of incense, which God instructed the priests to burn incense on every morning and every evening at the same time. God gave specific instructions for the, mis the mixture of spices and fragrances that were to be burned. 
And this incense represented the prayers of the people that were being lifted up to God. So as the incense rised up through the, the holy place, that represented the prayers from God's people that were being lifted up to him. Inside the holy place was another room called the most holy place or the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant resided. This was the place within the tabernacle where the presence of God resided. And the only person that could enter into this room was the high priest and only once a year on the day of atonement. On this day, the high priest would sacrifice a young bull as payment for his and his family's wrongdoings, and they would sprinkle some of the blood on the ark. Then they would take two spotless goats and sacrifice one as a substitute for all the wrongdoings of the nation of Israel, and that blood would be sprinkled on the ark as well. The high priest would then take the other goat, called the scapegoat, place both hands on its head, and confess all the sins of the people. So the goat would take on those sins. Then they, they would take the goat and lead it far away from the camp into the wilderness and leave it there, never to be seen again, representing the sins of the people being taken far away. So this was the model that they had to follow the model that God prescribed for his people to follow in the Old Testament through the tabernacle and the temple. And that was like a two-paragraph description. You can go back and see all of the detail that God wanted. Every single item that I mentioned, God details exactly what it's to be made out of, the dimensions of it, and what a lot of those things represent and stand for, even from the materials that it was made out of. So the tabernacle was the prescriptive model of gathering. God had very specific guidelines for everything involved in the tabernacle. And the New Testament model that we see is not as prescriptive. Instead, it is more descriptive, where we see glimpses of things that the early church was about, but we don't receive as much detail about specifically how each of these things looked. And we're going to look at a few examples today. And what I want to do is I'm just going to read through these three scriptures that we talked about, and I'm going to travel pretty quickly through them. But if you have a pen with you, I want to encourage you to do one thing. If you are the type of person that likes to write in their Bibles, um, I'm going to challenge you to underline all of the descriptive words and phrases that you see when each author talks about the things that we, the church or believers, are supposed to do. If you don't have a pen, you might be able to find one in the seats around you. So this is Acts 2. And I'm going to start in verse 42. Pay close attention to all of the, the descriptive words that you see on what we're supposed to do as the church. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those that were being saved." So here are some of the descriptive words that we see throughout these, verse, these verses. It says the believers devoted themselves to a few things. First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals together, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. 
Then if you go down a little bit further, it says they met together in one place. They gathered together. They gave generously to those in need, where it talks about selling all of their possessions. They worshiped in the temple daily. So the, I'm reading from the, the NLT, and the word that it translates that to is worshiped, but the Greek actually for that says every day devoting themselves with one person in the temple courts. So worshiped probably isn't the best word to be translated there, but think of it more as a gathering and devotion together in the temple courts. They met together in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals together. They praised God, and they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. So hopefully you had time to underline those things. We're going to refer back to those in a little bit. Next is Hebrews 10. And I'm going to start in verse 19 for this one. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter the most, heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So here's what we need to do because of that. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So my list of descriptive things from this chunk of verses is um, starting in verse 23. Think of ways to motivate one another. And John talked about this. And some other translations say to spur one another on towards love and good works. So we have think of ways to motivate one another. And then some of the other things that we're supposed to be doing are acts of love and acts of good works. The author also said, don't give up or don't neglect meeting together. We saw that back in Acts 2 where they were devoted to gathering together in one place. And here it is again in Hebrews. Don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But instead, encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So think of ways to motivate another towards acts of love and good works. Don't neglect meeting together and then encourage one another. Let's look at Ephesians 4. I'll start in verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when, we try, when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. 
He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So here's what I underlined in my Bible. We are to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. We're called to unity in faith and knowledge of Christ. We're called to be mature in the Lord, growing to be more like Christ, working together, so unity again, so that we can be healthy, growing, and full of love. Now, there are probably many more sections of Scripture that we could look to in the New Testament, in the New Testament specifically, um, but we don't have time to do all of that this morning. And if you were to go back to the, read all of the Old Testament, all the detail that I, that I said I didn't get into this morning, and compare it to these New Testament verses, look at the significance of, of what the tabernacle meant, and then look at a lot of these New Testament verses on what the early church was doing, you're going to see um, there are some differences, but there are also a few similarities. The main difference is the details given. We just mentioned how with the tabernacle, God was very specific in exactly how he wanted it to look. He was very specific in his prescription for the tabernacle. And these New Testament verses, these New Testament authors were much less specific. So just looking at a few of those examples, what does it look like to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching? Now, we can, we can look at examples of a lot of that teaching now. We have the benefit of going through the New Testament, and a lot of the New Testament is the apostles' teaching because these apostles that were with Jesus wrote these things down and sent them to churches that they had established, and we see the teaching throughout that. So we can look at examples of apostles' teaching through the letters to the churches in the New Testament, and then we can go and learn more about the cultures to the people that they were written to, and we can kind of put some details together that aren't specifically in the text. And we can get a good idea, but what we don't see is specific instructions exactly telling us exactly what the process looked like. What does it look like to, to think of ways to motivate one another? Again, we could go through other examples in the New Testament of authors like Paul that are motivating churches to do exactly that, love and good works. They uh, send a letter to a church that they know are struggling with certain issues and speak specifically to those issues and motivate them to get back to the right thing through love and good works. We can look at those examples, but those are specific examples for specific churches that are not Westway Christian Church. And it's not necessarily a prescriptive list of exactly how we can do those things. What does it look like to equip the church to do his work like we saw in the Ephesians passage? You probably see where I'm going with this. There are numerous descriptions throughout the New Testament of things like we just read about where believers, we see kind of the broad picture of what they're doing. They're meeting together. They're devoting themselves to certain things, but it's not a line-by-line -line list of exactly what that looked like. So how do we accomplish that at Westway? It seems like me laying it out that way leaves a lot of leeway for us to almost do whatever we want, but that's not the case. How do we accomplish this at Westway? If you look out on the wall in the lobby, 
we have put together something that we call our mission, vision, values, and preferred culture. And so a lot of times when, when we put that in writing, you just see M slash V slash V slash PC, which is mission, vision, values, preferred culture. And everything that we do at Westway, we try and hold true to what is in scripture. And so all of these things that are laid out for us are a part of our mission, our vision, our values, and our preferred culture. And you can look out on the wall to see what those are at. You can look on our website for more detail, but I just wanted to focus on a small portion of that too. This is talking about what we do when we gather together. Why do we gather together? And this is what our leadership has settled on. When we gather together, we gather to proclaim Jesus as Lord. That's our mission. That's what's out on the wall. We proclaim Jesus as Lord through our devotion to teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Does that sound familiar? That's Acts 2. We proclaim Jesus as Lord through our spurring one another on to love and good deeds. That's Hebrews 10 that we just read. We proclaim Jesus as Lord through our equipping one another to do good works and build up the body of Christ, Ephesians 4. The way that we do that when we meet together are what we call the elements of our gatherings. And what we do every week at 1015, you'll see these, all of these elements. Preaching, singing, praying, giving, Lord's suppering. Did you write this, John? <laughs> Fellowshipping. In utilizing these elements, our hope is that the question will ask these questions. Are we teaching God's word faithfully and engagingly? Are we encouraging relationships? Are we encouraging spurring one another on to love and good works? Are we encouraging equipping one another to do good works through service and building up the body to go out and proclaim Jesus in their community? And then we have some questions here that my hope is that we would all think about all the time. As a participant, you see, we have a part to play in this too. I have a part to play in this, and if you're sitting here and call yourself a part of Westway, you have a part to play in this too. So here are some questions that you can ask yourself. Am I hearing God's word devotedly? Am I listening faithfully? Am I engaged? Am I taking advantage of the opportunity to build relationships? Am I being spurred on to love and to do good deeds because of what happened? Am I equipped to do good works through service? And am I, am I equipped to build up the body to proclaim? So this is kind of a two-part thing. You have a part to play in this because you should be doing all of those things. But you also have a part to play in this as a form of accountability for the leadership. See, if we're not doing all of those things that we say we're about as a church, then something's probably not right. So all of the elements of our gathering are intentional, and we strive to follow the descriptive examples that we see in Scripture. You can look at, the li at these lists, and you can hopefully underline all those things that we talked about in Acts 2, Hebrews 10, and Ephesians 4, and you could see the commonalities between what we do here at Westway and those verses. And hopefully you can do that with many more verses throughout Scripture. While our singing may not be exactly like the singing that the early church did, the heart of why we sing is the same. While our preaching may not be exactly like what we see throughout the apostles' teaching, the heart of what we're preaching about is the same. We should be devoted to those same teachings. 
As John and I were talking through this, he said this phrase, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. He said, God showed us what it looked like. We have scripture to go back and see all of these examples. But then there was an element of him kind of leaving it up to us. And I think that's why he gave us the guidance of the Holy Spirit to figure out the details and what it looks like practically and contextually for us as the body of Christ at Westway Christian Church. So we still seek to do what the early church did. We still seek to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to scripture. We still seek to devote ourselves to fellowship, to devote ourselves to sharing in meals together. And so a few times a year, you see, like, we have our Thanksgiving meal coming up where we meet together in in the gym and we sit down and share a meal with each other. And I know that many of you are involved in small groups. This next week, my small group's gonna be getting together and we're gonna sit down and share a meal together and just enjoy each other's company. And I hope that there are many more examples like this throughout our church. We devote ourselves to prayer, not just in the 1015, but throughout the week. We devote ourselves to meeting together in one place, to giving generously to those in need, as John just mentioned earlier, to praising God, to thinking of ways to motivate one another towards love and good works, to encouraging one another, to equipping God's people for works of service, to build up the church, and then we promote unity and faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ and promote maturity in the Lord, growing daily to be more like Jesus. I hope that when you look at Westway, the body of of Christ here at Westway, you see those things. And I think you can even look back to the, the Old Testament example that we see in the tabernacle. Even though we aren't held to the same prescriptions as the, the tabernacle, there are still themes that you see through the elements of the tabernacle that we still do in our gatherings today. Praise, humility through service, unity, priesthood. We're called in the New Testament to be a priesthood of all believers with Jesus as our high priest. And then sacrifice. So as we close today, I want to encourage you to go ahead and take out your communion elements at this time. I just asked that question, why aren't, I said we aren't held to the same prescription as the tabernacle. So why are we, why are we not required to follow that same prescription today? It's because of what Jesus did for us. I'm going to ask you to throw that, that picture up on the screens again, Megan. It's because of what Jesus did for us to fulfill everything that God used to require through the tabernacle. I want to kind of walk through all of the different elements that we walk through again. The gate. Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And then in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, we don't have to physically go through the gate of the tabernacle anymore because Jesus fulfilled that. He is the gate. Hebrews 7 tells us that we don't need to make sacrifices every day because Jesus did that once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. So we don't have to bring a sacrifice into the temple and the priest doesn't have to sacrifice that on the altar anymore because Jesus fulfilled that through his death on the cross. Hebrews also tells us that that sacrifice that Jesus made for us allows us to go boldly into the presence of God. Because we have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ, making us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. 
If you remember the tabernacle, they had the wash basin where the priests had to go and thoroughly wash their hands and their feet. And we don't have to do that anymore because Jesus took care of that with his blood. And then it says our bodies were washed through the water, through pure water, baptism. John 1 says that Jesus, the word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And in John 1, he also says that, that Jesus became light. He brought light to everyone around him. And the darkness could not overcome that light. The lampstand was the only source of light in the holy place, and Jesus is that light for us. Not only that, but the lampstand represented in the tabernacle that the people of God were supposed to be a light to the people that they came in contact with too. And we're called to be light to our world as well. Jesus called himself the bread of life in John 6, declaring that we, that we have all we need in him. God continues to provide for us, and we see that through the representation of the table of showbread in the tabernacle. God provided for the Israelites in the wilderness and provided everything that they needed. And Jesus is the bread of life, giving us everything that we need through him. Paul says in Philippians 4 that we are to offer our requests to God through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Jesus modeled that through his life and ministry, repeatedly going off to be alone to commune with his father through prayer. That fulfills the incense. And finally, when Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, he took on the role of the scapegoat and took all of our sins onto himself. And at the moment of his death, the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn into two from top to bottom, signifying that there was no longer a barrier between God and his people. Jesus' death on the cross gives us access to God 24-7, and then God sent the Holy Spirit to us, too, to dwell within us. We don't have to wait for a priest to represent us before God once a year. Instead, we have access to God 24-7 through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We don't have to travel to a tabernacle to experience the presence of God. The presence of God dwells within us. And every week at Westway, we take our communion. I forgot to grab mine. <laughs> Thanks, John. It's opened up and everything. That's why we do this every week at Westway. It's to celebrate what Jesus did for us. And it's to remember the sacrifice that he made for us, giving us access to him. So let's take the, the bread together and remember that this is Jesus' body that was sacrificed for us on the cross. This is Jesus' blood that was shed for us. I want to give you all um, just a little bit of time, 30 seconds to a minute, uh, just to reflect on exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross, and then I'll close this with prayer.
Father in heaven, God, I thank you that you desire a relationship with me. And Father, I'm thankful that, that you made a way for me to continually come to you in relationship. Father, I'm thankful that you love me so much that you are willing to send your one and only son down to the earth and that you are willing to sacrifice him on the cross, bearing all of our guilt and sin and shame on himself to be that sacrifice that paid the price to give us access to you 24-7. Father, I'm so thankful for that. God, I pray that as we um, remember that today, that we wouldn't take that lightly. Father, I pray that as we leave this place, that we would remember that you desire a relationship with us and that you also placed within us a desire for community with other people. And so God, I'm thankful that you provided the church. I'm thankful that you provided a community of believers that can gather together for one purpose, to proclaim you and to proclaim all of the wonderful things that you've done in our lives and to be there, to provide other people to be there for each other so that if I'm struggling with something, not only can I put my faith and my trust in you, God, but I have other people that can help build me up and encourage me and spur me on. So Father, help us here at Westway to be that church. Help us to be diligent in following the scriptures. Help us to follow the examples that you've laid out for us and to be a Christian community that proclaims you throughout Scottsbluff County. I pray all of these things in your name. Amen.